Sometimes one of the hardest things in the world to do is to simply admit that we need help. This simple reality is what I think keeps so many people from the gospel message itself. In our first house, we had this old broken off water pump, which was in the middle of the backyard. And we like to play catch and stuff like that. So I always worried that someone was going to trip and hurt themselves on this old broken off water pump. So one day when I got home early from work, I decided to get rid of it. So I, I, I dug, dug down below ground level. I took a hacksaw and I cut that thing off. Problem solved. Until about four seconds later, when 10 feet in the air shot a geyser that just would not stop. Now, I thought, what in the world am I going to do at this moment, right? The problem was, we shared a well with our neighbor, and the water shutoff was inside his house. So now I'm staring at it going, what in the world should I do? Water's flying out. So I go and grab a rake and I jam it down into the pipe just to try to slow down the flow of water while, while I try to figure out what do I need to do to solve this problem. I know this isn't a permanent solution, but I need to buy a little bit of time. Well, as I stood there staring at the pipe in the mud, Christy pulled in the driveway about that time. She kind of looked through to the back and sort of laughed and then said, I'll call the plumber, right? She knew within a split second that this was going to be beyond, be beyond anything that I could fix. Now, to admit that you need help is to say, I have a problem. And I can't fix it on my own. I need to depend on someone else rather than myself for the solution. So where in your life have you needed to ask for help? Maybe, perhaps even through no fault of your own, you've had difficulty with finances. Or possibly in a relationship with a friend, you had conflict and you realized, I don't know what to do at this point. Or perhaps challenges have arisen with your children and you thought, I better seek wisdom and counsel because we've talked through this exhaustively and we don't know where to go from here. Or I know for a fact, this can be true in marriage. Sometimes you just get stuck and you need someone else to help you get out of the rut. The main point of our passage is that God has done something for us in Christ that we desperately needed, but that we could not do for ourselves. 
The main point of this passage is that God has done something for us in Christ that we desperately needed, but that we could not do for ourselves. Our passage this morning is Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 8. Uh, I want to read this morning all the way down to verse 10, because over the next two weeks, we'll talk about the connected themes of these verses. Today, we'll stop at verse 8. So, brothers and sisters... Hear the word of the God who has pursued us with his love. In him, that is, in the beloved God's Son, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. Now, I want to break down our passage with three emphases. And I'm excited about it because I think the last few weeks have shown, and this week and the coming weeks, that it matters that we press in deeply to precise words and phrases. Because the the richness and the depth and the texture of the biblical realities are so much greater than any watered-down way we might try to summarize them. It'd be like saying I went to Foothills Milling Company and I had a hunk of protein versus savoring every succulent bite of steak, all the seasonings and the juices, completely different reality. The concepts that we need to talk about this week from our passage in verses 7 and 8 are, first, we need to look at deliverance through blood ransom. What does that mean? I will explain it in just one second. And it's, it's going to be awesome because of the reality of what it is. Second, we'll look at forgiveness through wealthy grace. And finally, knowledge through lavish sharing. These are the themes that Paul uses to illustrate our main point that God has done something for us in Christ that we desperately needed but that we could not do for Ourselves Within the flow of verses 3 through 14, what that helps us to see is the way God has helped us is so abundantly generous, it causes us to celebrate all that God has actually done for us in Christ, which is the overarching meaning of verses 3 through 14. Therefore, let's just begin with our first emphasis, deliverance through blood ransom. Now, this opening section, as we have talked before, is just one praise-filled celebration that Paul is rejoicing in. The way that he organizes it is that we've looked at the work of the Father over these past few weeks. This week and next week, we'll look at the role of the Son, and then we'll transfer later and look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it applies to these particular truths. So then, notice first that flowing out 
of the end of verse 6 into the beginning of verse 7 that the person that we are talking about is the beloved son of the Father. One of the aspects of the gospel that makes it so shocking is that the person the Father sends forth to give his life in exchange for the lives of those who are in open rebellion against him, that person is the one the Father's soul loves. The one put forth by the Father as an offering to cover our sin is is not just a well-respected employee of the Father that he directs to go to earth. It is not a helpful neighbor of the Father who just likes to come in and serve any way he can. It isn't even a well-liked friend of the Father. The one whose life is offered by the Father as a ransom for your life and for mine is his beloved Son, his only begotten Son, the Son who is perfectly, eternally, wholeheartedly pleasing to his Father in every conceivable way. Brothers and sisters, this is an offer from the Father of unimaginable sacrifice and unimaginable generosity. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews warns, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But maybe you've embraced this salvation. Know that the Son has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, no matter how difficult the circumstances are where you find yourself. The word redemption is a word that basically means deliverance or freedom, liberation, secured by ransom. For the Jew, it would have immediately brought to mind God's miraculous deliverance from Egypt under Pharaoh's rule through the Red Sea. That is nothing if it is not a great Salvation, a great deliverance. But even more specifically, the phrase redemption through his blood would have brought to mind imagery of the tenth plague. That is, the Passover and the protection that came to the homes whose doorposts were covered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. So that when the angel of death passed over them, their firstborn sons were spared. The incredible message of the New Testament is that God did not spare His one and only Son when He ransomed, that is, when He purchased the life of sinners. Instead, God's own Son becomes the Passover Lamb of protection from God's wrath against sin for all who are covered 
by his blood. 1 Corinthians 5.7. Now, in the Old Testament, most of the time, men sold themselves into slavery voluntarily in order to receive protection and provision, usually from a wealthy landover, and almost always because they had to work off a debt to someone that they could not pay on their own. So thinking back to me, thinking through how I might fix this pipe on my own, one of the reasons the gospel and the cross in particular is an offense to modern minds is that in order to benefit from it, you have to first admit that you need help. You have to see and understand that I have a problem, that there is something fundamentally wrong. There is something fundamentally broken inside of me. You want to talk about a gospel opposite of the gospel that is preached by the culture. There it is. You need to admit that you are in bondage to sin and therefore need ransomed from it. You need to recognize that you voluntarily sold yourself into slavery with the first sin you ever committed and you don't know how to get out. The truth is, outside of Christ, every person is a slave to sin. Therefore, we need someone far more spiritually wealthy than we are to pay off our debt. In other words, we need someone who can buy back our life. If this describes you, even as you sit here this morning, as awful as it might seem to you that that you are a slave, in particular, a slave to sin, nonetheless, I have glorious news for you this morning. That news is that someone else paid the ransom price for you to set you free from your bondage of sin forever. Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God, has paid your debt in full through His blood forever. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. Therefore, if you, have, if, you have not, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, realize, one, that you have no hope without him to be made right with God. There is no other solution. But secondly, realize 
His blood is more than sufficient to wash away your sin and pay the blood price so that you can be redeemed from slavery. The gospel is that on the cross, Jesus exchanged his sin-less life for your sin-filled life so that his infinitely valuable blood pays the punishment your sinful life deserves and in turn, you receive the inheritance, the full inheritance that his perfectly holy life earned. This is the miracle of the gospel. If you are already a believer in Jesus, as as lovingly, but as strongly as I can say it, stop trying to make debt payments back to God when you sin. Whether that's, man, I really messed up this time. I better pray extra long so the Father can see how serious I am about being in relationship with Him. I better be extra kind to my wife since I sinned so grievously against her. Therefore, God will see I'm really earnest this time in loving her as Jesus has loved me. None of it works. The reason is because your blood price has already been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have been fully redeemed. Therefore, you have been fully ransomed. Therefore, you have been fully delivered. You have been set free from the penalty and power of sin, and one day you will be delivered from the presence of sin forever. There is nothing you can do to pay God back for your sin. You're not wealthy enough. It won't matter. But Jesus is and has on your behalf. To say it as boldly, I think, as the gospel warrants. If you are in Christ, the reality of the gospel is that you don't owe the Father anything. Because your debt has been paid in full by the precious, invaluable blood that Jesus has spilled on your behalf. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Rather, you are a son or a daughter of the King of glory. Therefore, it is simply unbiblical and frankly dishonoring to Jesus to think of your life now as a believer, as working off a debt you owe to God because of what he has done for you in Christ. Rather, your life is now 
simply a free will offering of continuous sacrificial praise to God because of what has been done for you by the Father through the Spirit and as we see over and over again in Christ. Now, if you're still having trouble processing the good news of the good news, let's let's connect it to what Paul says next. Listen to these words. We have forgiveness of our trespasses through the riches of His grace. I think our doubts about whether we are truly loved by God or whether our sin really has been fully forgiven by God? I think they arise within us because I think we assume that God gives the way we give. I mean, we'll sit there and wrestle for five minutes about whether a dollar fifty or a dollar seventy-five is more close to eighteen percent of a tip to give a waiter or a waitress. God would be like, I'm slapping down a thousand, let's roll. Because that's the nature of his heart. But remember that the category here that we're talking about is grace, it's not money. God gives us forgiveness out of the riches of his grace. God provides for you financially out of the riches of his wealth. Does anybody think that God's provision of you makes his portfolio a little weaker? He's not struggling. He is infinitely wealthy as it relates to finances. He is equally, equally, infinitely wealthy when it comes to the riches of grace. So this truth has to wash over our minds. With respect to grace, our stingy hearts say, look, I will forgive you, but I really want you to know that I'm still mad at you. I think less of you now because of what you did, and I don't like you very much right now. And I may not talk to you for the rest of the day, but I do forgive you. That is stingy forgiveness flowing from an impoverished heart. In contrast, God is the Niagara Falls of grace. Almost unimaginably, overwhelmingly, generously, Grace is continuously and abundantly pouring out of his heart onto sinners in need of grace. This cascading fountain of God's grace is displayed in his forgiveness, the text says, of our trespasses. Now, when we think of trespasses, we tend to think of an area that needs to be protected to keep everyone else out. Right? In other words, a violation comes when someone transgresses the boundary and comes into where they should not have gone. But the idea here of trespass is the inverse. To trespass here means to go 
outside of a boundary line that has been established. In other words, you were here with God. And then you went outside the camp. You you were here with God and then you went off into the far country. You crossed a boundary. You spent your inheritance. Think of the prodigal son. And as you're imagining, thinking through that parable in your mind, think of the Father's grace in welcoming you home with a kiss. Think of the Father's overflowing grace coming from the riches, the wealth of His grace, extending open arms to hug you upon your return. But but what does this look like in real life? What does this kind of extension of grace look like to sinners who need grace? Before, Before we moved from Chicago several years ago, I heard a story one day when I was driving home from work and I had, I had to practically pull over on the side of the road because I was crying so hard as I listened to it. There was a pastor from the Chicago area whose oldest son got into drugs after he left high school. Uh, eventually the son left home and at the point where the story takes place, they, they hadn't heard a word from him for 18 months. The last his father had heard, he was living in some crack house in in a terrible part of town. So late one Saturday night, they get a call at 2 a.m. from the police saying, your son got a DUI and he is at the precinct. You need to come pick him up. So the father goes to the precinct But the police have no idea what he's talking about because his son isn't there. Now, Chicago's a big place, so there are several precincts. So the father begins to go from precinct to precinct looking for his son. Now it's 4 a.m. He realizes, I'm not sleeping tonight. I've got church in a few hours. So he decides finally to check the last known address of where he had heard his son was now living. Here's the exact account, articulated by a friend. He goes in, and people are sleeping all over the place. He looks around, and he locates his son, passed out on a mattress in a back room. At 5 a.m. in this hellhole, his heart breaks, He falls to his knees, then he kisses his son, and then he gets up and he leaves. About four months later, the son shows up at the house, and very slowly the son begins to get reintegrated into the family. One day his father asks him, son, what in the heck happened? What transpired that took you out of the life that you were in and led you back home? The son said, the son said, 
Dad, don't you know? It was that night. You know the night you got the police call? It was one of my friends playing a prank on you. We all laughed, thinking about how you, getting ready for church, would have to spend your night in precincts looking for me. We imagined the look on your face when you'd go to the officer's desk. But the one thing we never imagined is that you'd come to the house where I lived. Dad, we saw you coming down the street and we all, we dove for the beds. I wasn't asleep that night. When you walked into my room and found me, I knew you'd be so furious at me. I was readying myself for you to kick me as hard as you could. You want to know what changed me? You didn't kick me. You kissed me. You kissed me. And that changed everything. If the meager means of grace stored up in the heart of an imperfect father can be extended with a kiss to a son who has trespassed, who went outside the camp into the far country, crossing a boundary he should not have crossed, how much more do the riches of grace flow from the Father's heart toward us? But the text says that the blessings come to us in Him. That is, in the Father's Son. That is, in Christ Our Redeemer, we become sons in the Son. The Father sent His Son to the crack house of our sinful world to come get us and to bring us home. That's why the psalmist says, kiss the Son. He has come for you to bring you home. Don't fight Him. Don't resist Him. Embrace Him and kiss Him. He is your only hope. Through the riches of his grace, Jesus opened up an overflowing fountain of grace when his blood poured forth from his side as he was crucified outside the camp on a Roman cross. Is that news worth sharing? Do you think there might be a person or two or five billion in this world that need to hear the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, the text goes on to say, the mystery of his will. Now, I always assumed this verse meant that God exercised wisdom and insight when he made known to us the mystery of his will. But after looking at it all week, it doesn't translate that well into English, but what Paul is actually saying is that the lavish grace that God has bestowed upon us is 
evidenced in that God has given us wisdom and insight to see and understand the reality of all that he has done for us in Christ. To use the language of the passage, he's given us wisdom and insight to see the revealed mystery of his will. Much, much more on that next week. For this week, just pause. Pause for a moment and ask yourself if you have ever thought about how gracious it was of God simply to reveal the greatness of His plan in Christ to us. Have you ever considered how overwhelmingly gracious, not just important, but how overwhelmingly gracious it was of God to reveal the greatness of his plans for the world in Christ and then commission us to share that good news. In this light, sharing the good news about Jesus is the highest of privileges. This is not something that we have to do. This is something that by God's grace we get to do. To tell other people about the hope that is found in Jesus alone. In Ephesians, Paul was writing primarily to those who are in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. He's writing after Jesus had come to earth, taught and ministered all over the region clarified many things in the Old Testament, was crucified, died, and was buried, on the third day was raised from the dead, and then 40 days later ascended into heaven. So, think about how incredibly privileged you are that you live on this side of the cross. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of the law. Imagine processing what it means that the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Imagine processing that without the New Testament. Imagine processing that before Jesus came. This is where our ascribing glory to God, our ascribing glory to God must begin to translate into applying the gospel of God. If the expectation of Moses and the people 3,500 years ago was to obey the law and to be a light to the nations. How much more, given our understanding of the New Testament, and in particular the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they would have had to say, One day, 
God is going to provide a great salvation. We get to say, look, God has provided a great salvation in Christ. He is the hope of the world. Come to him. Embrace him. Love him. He has made a way for you to be right with God forever. In other words, God has done something for us in Christ that we desperately needed, but that we could not do for ourselves. The way God has helped us is so abundantly gracious and overwhelmingly generous, it causes us to celebrate, to praise Him for all that He's actually done for us in Christ. May our understanding that in Christ we now belong to God, may it lead us not just to celebrate God for what He has done, but brothers and sisters, may it compel us to tell others about all that God has done for us in Christ. For we have been made a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Praise be to the Father, Praise be to the Son, and praise be to the Holy Spirit alone forever. Would you pray with me? Father, would you do this work in our hearts that as as the Niagara Falls of your gracious love pour over us this morning. I pray that it would not just kind of hit the rocks and spray out all over the place, but that it would, that water would seep, that living water would seep way down into the cracks and crevices of our hearts so that living water would be flowing there. And I pray that that would pour out now into praise. Praise ascribing you the glory due your name. Celebrating what you've done for us in Christ. And I pray that we would sing. We would sing from the depth of our being. And I further pray that when we're finished singing this morning, this good news would not stay here that we would be compelled joyfully and freely to tell everyone about Jesus. And I ask this in his name. Amen.